Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back for another segment. And last week I had a great conversation with Barry Tesler. And as you know, I credit her as being the first financial therapist. And as we learned, it was actually her husband that came up with that name. I thought it would be interesting to take a little deeper dive into some of Barry's material. Uh, she wrote a couple emails not long ago that were, the first one was 10 things that she says a, a financial therapist wants you to know. And then she followed that with 11 more things. I have... Uh, boiled all that down to 20. Okay. I, I condensed two. So I hope Barry's okay with that. Her list is uh, quite an interesting list. And I, I just wanted to hit that. Now I'll have to move fairly quickly on these to get them all in. First one is that most of us never received an education in financial literacy or emotional literacy. And is that true? The late financial philosopher Dick Wagner, who is from Denver, had 35 money truisms, as he called them. And one of those was that money skills are 21st century survival skills. The problem with money is that it's an, it's an artificial, what I want to say, an artificial medium. It's not found in nature, in nature. So money and emotional skills around money are learned. They're not inherited. And I, what I'm saying is they're not inherited uh, biologically. Certainly in our work, and as we've talked about in the past, money legacy burdens are super common. So we can learn things from our parents, but again, they're learned. They're not, they're not natural to us. So unless we had the rare parents that were able to pass on this knowledge, most of us make a conscious choice. We have to make a conscious choice as adults to acquire both. So and it's important to understand that financial literacy is different from emotional literacy. And I would contend, and I've had uh, a podcast in the past that really addressed this, that it's um, almost impossible to have financial literacy without emotional literacy. It's been... Uh, I think somewhat of a foregone conclusion of people that have been teaching financial literacy that it doesn't work unless the emotional component 
is there with it. And one person that comes to mind that's actually a global leader in discovering this and addressing it is a Partha Ingar in uh, India who has been uh, going down this path for mm, probably a decade in teaching both literacy skills and emotional skills to uh, the women of, of India. So number two kind of goes along with that, and that is money is an emotional subject. It's interesting when I describe money as having an emotional component, Almost everyone I talk to, and I'm talking about the general public, instantly agrees. The two professions that seem to maybe kind of uh, cock their heads a little bit and ponder that would be investment advisors and financial planners. And yet the research tells us that 80 to 100% of all money decisions are made emotionally. It's just about impossible to separate emotional well-being from financial well-being. And hello, that's uh, what this podcast is all about, isn't it? Number three was tough love is not the answer. There had been a period of time in my life that I would have uh, said tough love is what we've got to do, especially tough love with ourselves, right? But probably if you're listening to this podcast, you've had some experience of trying to strong arm yourself emotionally into overcoming harmful financial behaviors. And strong arming yourself can work for a few days or a few weeks, maybe even a few months, but typically it fails. And it fails because we're dealing with an emotional topic, not a cognitive topic for the most part. 20% of all money problems can be solved cognitively, but uh, I'm saying 80%, I have no research to back this up by the way, 80% are emotionally. So especially if our strong arm, our shaming of ourselves, our what's wrong with you and buck up and get it right, other people can, if that approach is not resulting in permanent behavioral change around your money, we need to do something different, right? We need to create a way to approach ourselves maybe with compassion and gentleness and patience around our behaviors around money. And if that just strikes you as nice to say, Rick, but what does, how do you do that? I totally get it. I heard this for years that I needed to learn how to be compassionate, especially around my critic. I'm an Enneagram type one, which is thought to have one of the largest uh, inner critics of all of the uh, types. And it just, uh, I never, never understood how do I bring compassion to a part of me that I don't like. <laughs> and therein was the problem, right? And I had heard, yeah, I've got to embrace my critic and become friends with it. But I never figured out a way to do that until I ran into internal family systems uh, theory, which 
I've gotten into a little bit before on podcasts. So, tough love to yourself isn't the answer. You need to develop curiosity and compassion to yourself. Her fourth thing that she'd like you to know is that money shame is real. And believe me, it's real. Almost everyone carries significant shame around money. And this includes people in the financial services business who often think that they're exempt. And I've told this uh, story before. It was one of the first um, healing money issues workshops that I did with uh, Dr. Ted Klontz uh, for on-site workshops back in, I think it may have been around 2006, 2007. And we were walking back to um, our cabin from the, the retreat center. And uh, Ted said, you know, there's more shame in that room than in any program I've ever seen. Now, Ted has, at that time, had done literally thousands of workshops. He was a master at his uh, craft and was also a level three addiction counselor. And I just looked at him kind of with a pretty puzzle, like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I may have said, but you're a sexual addiction counselor. Uh, how can that be? He says any the way that Ted would put things, he just uh, kind of looked at me and said, I want to say there's more shame in that room than any workshop I've ever done. Money shame around money is huge. Many financial advisors are really not aware of that until they really start looking at their own stuff and disclosing their own personal money issues. Money shame, uh, of course, like a lot of shame, often originates in childhood. And it's just a, a huge influence on our present life and on our money decisions. So when we can learn to spot our money shame and the stories about how that shame entered our life, usually around childhood, we can then begin to heal and allow new behaviors to emerge. So this is really important that we, uh, rather than letting this uh, the shame flow under the bridge, so to speak, and say, well, that's in our past. Don't need to go there. And I used to be one of those, believe me. I've learned that uh, that just puts off the inevitable because that shame is not going to dissipate until it is um, dealt with, brought, brought into our consciousness and dealt with. Next uh, step she has is that you are not behind. Now, your, your traditional financial planner may not tell you that, but your financial therapist will. Not every financial planner is on board with financial life planning or financial therapy. And while their intentions are really good, and I have been one of these, they can 
look at the numbers and very quickly tell you, wow, you should have started this 10 years ago. I like um, what uh, Barry says, is that every single one of us is on our own unique journey in life and money. And it's constantly unfolding and evolving as we grow and become more aware. So she would say where you are right now is perfectly on time. And I think that's so true. I mean, uh, when we go back and we compare and we beat ourselves up, I mean, one of the about decisions in the past, typically we made the best decision with the knowledge that we had. And like so many things in life, we don't always have, we rarely have all the knowledge. So the, the fact that you're making a start now is so important. We, we can't change the past. And I, re, I remember when early in, in uh, therapy, my therapist would say something like this, right? And I just was like, I cannot celebrate all of the mistakes of my past. I don't know how you can be asking me to do that. Well, everything in your past got you to where you are today. Yeah. And if I hadn't made all those mistakes, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I was pretty unrelentless on myself. And I I always joked with him that I, I wish there was a pill that would uh, help me understand on, on why all my mistakes in the past were important to getting me to where I am. Because in my view, just avoiding them all would have been better. I, I think there's a balance between that. I tell my financial planning clients that my job is to make every financial mistake possible so I can help you not make it. <laughs> Believe me, I have made financial mistakes. <clears throat> we'll get to the, those later. But that's the thing to, to celebrate is not uh, dwelling in uh, remorse and regret that I didn't do this sooner. It's celebrating the fact that you are doing it now. Uh, which kind of leads into the next one, which is giving you yourself the support you need. Okay. A support on this journey is so important. We've talked about the fact that we don't heal from um, wounds, emotional wounds, traumas uh, on our own. Uh, typically, we are wounded in a relationship, meaning that we're typically wounded by other people. And money is just a tool of wounding, right? The money itself doesn't wound us. The dollar bill doesn't wound us unless it gives us a paper cut. It's the people using the money that wound us. And so while we're wounded in relationship, we're also healed in relationship. And that, re that relationship can both be exterior relationship and interior relationship. And again, I'm, I'm talking with a little bit of an IFS lens here of learning to heal ourselves uh, from the inside out. But even with, um, with IFS, typically there is a practitioner, a mentor, 
a guide that helps you on that journey. So I think it's, I think it's pretty accurate to say that we all need some support, even in, um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous programs. One of the crucial things that they talk about is having a, a support person, a sponsor is what they call it to turn to, to help to help you to be a, a mentor. And we need that also when we're healing financially. Now, who could that support person be? Well, it's probably more than one person, but certainly on the emotional side, it would be a financial therapist or a life planner that's really dialed into the emotional side of money. It can be having a bookkeeper in your life or somebody to help you with that. We'll talk about how crucial some type of bookkeeping system is later. Accountants, attorneys, all of these folks are uh, really good and necessary in supporting us on our financial journey. The seventh one, and guess what? I'm not going to get to all 20. Oh, well, I guess maybe we have another podcast. Your body has a lot to say about money. There's a couple of books by uh, Gabor Mate and Bessel van der Kolk. And I get the titles of these mixed up. One is uh, When the Body Says No. And I think the other one might be, I might be like The Body Knows. But uh, the, the connection between our body and our mind, between our gut and our mind, is um, enveloping in research continually. There's almost uh, no distinction between the two, that they work together so much. So it would make sense that this is one of Barry's um, top things that she wants you to know because she, uh, as, as we learned, was um, her uh, master's degree was in somatic therapy, somatic meaning the body. Another really good friend of mine and CFP Gail Coleman has pioneered somatic um, money in bringing the body to awareness around money and financial planning and has an excellent blog and website. If you Google her, I'm sure you'll find her, Gail, G-A-Y-L-E, Coleman, C-O-L- Oh, E-M-A-N, I think so. Uh, CFP out of Carlisle, Massachusetts, which is around Boston. So paying attention to your body is just incredibly, it's important that you learn to listen to your body. It's usually the beginning of emotional intelligence, quite frankly. I remember when uh, George Kinder introduced me to um, becoming emotionally aware and a form of meditation that he would call a body scan. And I, I don't think he came up with that. But it's uh, quieting the mind. He would say, letting the thoughts go and the feelings be. The thoughts go and the feelings be. And the feelings allowing to stay are typically sensations. And I, I talked about this on the um, podcast with Barry that um, 
Tracy Beckus was my coach for eight years, and she was the one that introduced me to the fact that a feeling started as a sensation in the body, which I completely and totally rejected. That made no sense. <laughs> I, I want to remind you guys that I was a hard case, right? I did not come into right-brainness easily. But I started to notice that. I started to notice when my stomach is knotted up that, oh, that for me is fear. So in doing a body scan, I would just uh, start at my feet in a meditation and just kind of go up and just just um, gently like maybe pulling up, pulling up a curtain, go up my body and be aware of those. And I remember finding some sensation in my chest once, kind of early on when I started doing this, and it led to some just deep sorrow that I was really unaware of. And I, right now today, forget what it was about, but it was about some unfinished uh, sorrow in my past. So this can be uh, incredibly um, helpful in doing this type of, uh, of an exercise. So learn to listen to your body. They have a lot to say about our relationship with money. Number eight is that money can be deeply meaningful. All right. Now money, as we've said before, is an inanimate object. Money by itself is incapable of bringing meaning to us. But as Jacob Needleman said, money in his book, Money and the Meaning of Life, is that money supports us finding meaning in life. Money is indispensable in bringing us relationships, uh, things, material things, and relationships or experiences into our life that make life worth living. Uh, worth living being a, a term that Dick Wagner really embraced. So we need to be careful by dismissing the fact money isn't important. Money is incredibly important in helping us find meaning in life. It's indispensable, but by itself, it's inanimate. Money is not good. Money is not bad. Money just is. And I think I've said this before in other podcasts, that money is like a feeling, right? We like to talk about feelings as being good feelings or bad feelings. There's actually no good or bad feelings around money. Their money, feelings just are, right? A feeling typically, uh, I like to use difficult and light. There's difficult and light feelings, difficult and light sensations. But once we learn to embrace those, and this is a, this is scientific, rather than run from them, if we learn to embrace them, a feeling will pass in about 90 seconds. And Oftentimes, as we embrace the difficult feelings, what will happen as it passes is like this body intelligence, this intelligence that comes out up as to, oh, this is what that's about, a connection 
to uh, some awareness that perhaps we've never seen. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced that. So money can be deeply meaningful. Number nine, your relationship with money has the power to transform your life if you will let it. Okay? Money touches everything in our life. And we can use it to transform ourselves, to transform those around us, to transform our companies, to transform our communities. Money can be powerfully transformational. And I will get to this in the, in the next 10. Uh, Scrooge was um, transformed. I think we kind of forget that when we talk about Scrooge. We talk about Scrooge at the beginning of the book, not the end. And his whole relationship with money was transformed. And finally, uh, you're not alone. Everyone on the planet is on a journey with money, right? I would say almost everyone on the planet is struggling with many of the issues that you are, not every one of them. But there's so many people that struggle with the same thing. They're not typically advertising it. It's money is so deeply personal and connected with our value and our identity and who we are. And there's so much shame around money. They're talking about our own personal money challenges, journey, issues is not something that's embraced by our society. And yet, I, I guess we could say so many people are suffering in silence around money. So be kind to yourself. Be persistent in your money journey. Uh, there's a lot of hope. I've seen a lot of people heal themselves around their relationship with money. And there's absolutely no reason why you cannot be a part of them. So thanks for joining me. I did not get to all 20. I got to 10. So uh, we'll get to those in the next podcast. Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.